Welcome, welcome, welcome in. Happy Friday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. The return of Justin Kinney. Ah, yes. Hello. Garage doors are fixed. <laughs> it's just the, the most ridiculous thing. If you missed yesterday's show in the open, I, I explained why Justin was out yesterday. It was a family matter, but not in the like, oh, it wasn't like a sick kid or you were yeah, sick nothing, or nothing dramatic. a funeral or anything like that. It was a garage door issue. It was a garage door. <laughs> the uh, mother-in-law couldn't get the car out of the garage to come watch our son. And so you had to watch your son. Yes, I did. And then uh, it worked out because I was home then uh, a little later in the day for the uh, appliance guy to come fix our dryer. So mm, fun. Yeah, that was fun. And uh, you're always worried about how much that's going to be. What? Yeah. Too bad. We uh, have been just band-aiding. Uh, that's not a word, but I'm going to make it a word. Our, our dryer. So, Is it old? Yeah. That's kind of where our, where yeah. we're at. I mean, it was fixed yesterday. The guy was like, you know, we could do this, this, this to it as well. But <laughs> like, you're like, ah, no, it's 15 years old. I think it's probably on its last legs anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, no, back back in the seat this morning feels good. All right. Well, coming up on the show today is Justin is back with us. A lot to get to with the Colts. Colts uh, get a huge break against the Texans. We'll get to that after headlines. Plus, the NCAA could adopt... Their NIL trust fund. We'll give you the timeline for that. Giannis speaks uh, on the Pacers and how they're always on his mind. If you missed this, this came out yesterday after the Pacers beat the Bucks. Bucks got a a thrilling win over the Spurs last night. They saw Giannis and uh, Victor Wembanyama basically go toe to toe. It was quite an entertaining game from what I caught of it. Uh, but Giannis speaks his mind. We'll get to that later this hour. It's pretty funny audio. Uh, also, Shane Steichen. I believe he can submit himself as NFL Coach of the Year with a win coming up tomorrow. We'll take a look at some of the the key uh, storyline numbers to look at and why I think the Colts have a a better shot than you think in this game. I I, I feel like nationally, people are just assuming the Texans are going to win. Also, beginning of the end for Ryan Day in Columbus. um, Hmm. Buckeyes have their quarterback, but I just I don't feel like things are going to end well. Uh, There are a few factors here we'll get to that and shade alberani the voice of the comments will join us uh to talk about the weekend ahead for the k's as they have not one but two games at home and we actually have a four pack of tickets to give away for saturday uh so this hour and next hour so let's see they're playing iowa so let's have the first code word for hour number one be corn pretty corn simple. corn to four six eight six two just text corn to four six eight six two and you'll be in the running for a four-pack of tickets. See the K's and the Iowa Heartlanders coming up tomorrow night at the Coliseum Puck Drop at 7.30. We'll give that second hour keyword, obviously, in hour number two. Oh, and before we leave you at the end of the show, end of this week, a Pittsburgh couple's dog, uh, well, had an expensive dinner. Mm. Well, we'll explain. Well, lots, right. of, lots to get to. Plenty to get to here to head into the weekend. But again, corn to 46862. That is how you can win a four-pack of Comets tickets this hour uh, for tomorrow night's game. All right. Well, we're back at it, and let's dive into headlines. Dalvin Cook picked up Ravens practice squad. Uh, it, it's an insurance policy in the in the event that something happens to Gus Edwards or or Justice Hill. Kind of surprised he went to Baltimore because of the situation that they're in. There's no real need for a backup. 
uh, to Gus Edwards. I mean, Justice Hill has been very good, young guy. But Baltimore, when you look at them and the expectation entering the playoffs is they can be a contender to at least get to the Super Bowl, I understand the insurance policy. I just don't know if Dalvin Cook suits up for the Ravens at any point. But he will head to Baltimore and potentially be a part of uh, of the Ravens if needed heading into the playoffs. And Lamar Jackson and Dalvin Cook are familiar with one another because they played against each other in high school in the Miami ah. area. So uh, there you go. Uh, they were both part of the great you know football hotbed of Miami, yep. and uh, now they're reuniting in Baltimore. So good for them. I'm sure they're probably looking forward to that. I would imagine. Uh, elsewhere in the NFL, you have more news on Tyreek Hill. So yesterday, the, the news came out there was a house fire at his home. And then the latest, an official said a child with a lighter started the fire at Tyreek Hill's home. Not ideal. Good lesson for you out there, folks. We always heard about this when we were kids, about you know staying away from lighters and all that stuff in the house. And I don't know if they still show the, the frequency that we were hit over the head with discarded cigarettes or like randomly when we were children, like people were falling asleep with lit cigarettes in their hand, like all the time, apparently, because that's all we saw on these warning videos and stuff. But uh, also with, uh, with lighters when we were kids. So keep those lighters up. Doesn't matter how much money you make, how nice of a house you have. If you have lighters around the house, they can cause fire. It was pretty significant fire. I mean, they're break open the, the, the roof for ventilation and everything. So not ideal for Tyreek Hill. Child playing with a cigarette lighter in a bedroom. So I don't know how that works with insurance. Thankfully, Tyreek Hill has the money to rebuild either way. Yeah, I don't know how that's, you know, insurance is always looking for that way out. And uh, I don't know if that's. I mean, like, it's, it's clearly accidental, right? Accidental, but is it negligence? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know. How, that, how that would work. If, if someone works in insurance, let us know in the text line at 46862. I, I was just curious, like, does insurance pay for those repairs? Like, how does that work? Um, let us know on the text line. In college football, a couple of transfer portal news. First off, Ohio State has their quarterback, Will Howard, who at one point was maybe a target for Notre Dame until it was clear Riley Leonard was entering the portal. And for Howard at Kansas State, he had to move on because, well, he was no longer going to be the starter next year. Avery Johnson uh, coming in and set to be the starter uh, for the Wildcats. But Howard... Had a pretty good season, 24 touchdowns, 10 picks last year. Also rushed for over 350 yards, nine touchdowns. So he is likely the bridge quarterback for 2024 with Air Noland coming in. Yes, that is his name as the star freshman quarterback who may even take over midseason. Who knows? Is he good enough to be the Ohio State starting quarterback next year? I feel Plain like he's What's experienced the, you know? Kyle McCord. Yeah. I, I just, um, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to watch Ohio State because they're, at least that fan base is getting a little antsy, particularly when it comes to playing their rival in Michigan. Three straight losses to the Wolverines. The uh, heat turning up. A little bit. For Ryan Day. And I, I don't know. It, we I don't put much stock into bowl season, but it was a it was a uninspired performance for Ohio State. Now it, it didn't help that Devin Brown, who was starting the game, got injured fairly early on, and so they were playing with Lincoln Keenholz, who was I mean technically what the the third string or fourth string guy. Yeah, not so ideal. It doesn't uh, help. 
But no, it's not an inspiring performance at all. Not whatsoever. So uh, we'll see how that goes in Columbus for the new quarterback. And uh, Will Howard chose the Buckeyes. He had scheduled trips with USC and Miami, uh, but obviously going to Columbus. Elsewhere in college football, former Purdue defensive lineman standout Nick Scorton. Uh, the edge rusher is committed to Texas A&M. Uh, he had 10 sacks last season, led the Big Ten, uh, one of the top guys in the portal. So Mike Elko uh, gets a elite pass rusher for the Aggies. And it was a fruitful day yesterday for Indiana football in the portal. Yes. Uh, it was uh, Sean Asbury, it was Terry Jones, Elijah Green, Elijah Surratt. Surratt being a one of the highly ranked transfers. So the wide receiver room has a lot of talent at Indiana now. It does. So when you look at building this roster, roster for year one and largely through the portal to try to upgrade it significantly, it was a busy and um, exciting day for IU football yesterday. Meanwhile, former Warsaw kicker and currently with Mizzou, uh, Harrison Mevis, uh, he has accepted his invitation to play in the East-West Shrine Bowl. So hey. Had an outstanding year, what, a 61-yard field goal game winner? Yes. At one point a cra- this season. Crazy leg. Crazy leg at Warsaw. And they actually have a kicker uh, even now that's uh, a big prospect for college. So a uh, great program in terms of kickers up there at Warsaw. Couple of notes on the NBA: Draymond Green, who's been on indefinite league suspension since December 13th. I know you've missed him. <laughs> yeah, uh, expected to return to the Warriors facility in the upcoming days. Start ramping up to resume play again. How? <laughs> how do they know he's like quote unquote changed? Right. I mean, the same thing with John Morant. Well, like, I think it's you, just you just you hope in a prayer. Boxes. Basically, you open a prayer. Like hopefully he shows up this time and he's sane. I guess, but and do we expect anything significant to change now? Why didn't the Warriors have internal discipline first? Why did the NBA have to step in? Yeah, who knows? Like, I get the NBA having a suspension, but the Warriors, you, you look at it, they're not really suspending Draymond Green, right? No, not, no, it's, it's the NBA. It's all the NBA. So, I don't know, keep that in mind, because the Warriors are not blameless in this, I guess, is all I would say. Oh, no, not at all. Also, the Pacers, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, uh, voting in for the first fan returns for the All-Star Game, which is in Indianapolis coming up next month. Hard to believe. Uh, but the All-Star uh, guard, well, leading the way among guards in the East, Halliburton has more votes than players like Damian Lillard, Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell, uh, so on and so forth. But yes, top voting guard in the East. By a significant margin. Yes. Like, like, Several hundred thousand votes. So it's good to see because... You never know. Obviously, the NBA Cup helped Tyrese Halliburton's notoriety around the NBA, not just in Indiana. And it's good to see that other people have taken notice of the star in Indianapolis. And someone pointing out on the text line, uh, IU women's basketball 13 to 13 shooting the first quarter last night, saying they need to start a shooting clinic. The men's team, uh, that uh, via the text line at 46862. Yeah, the Hoosiers 15 of 15 to start the game. In a blowout win over Michigan at Assembly Hall last night. Hoosiers now 12-1 and on the season in women's basketball. Mackenzie Holmes leading them in scoring last night with 20. Uh, Sarah Scalio with 16. Sydney Parrish with 14. Just a very balanced effort for the Hoosiers. Yeah, I, I feel like they could teach the uh, men a couple things. Not just in shooting, but also effort as well. <laughs> Maybe they should uh, you know, drop in on some... Some practices at the assembly hall with the men. 
And back here in Fort Wayne, the Tin Caps now officially hiring for the 2024 season. TinCapsJobs.com. Want to pass that along? You can apply online. Positions include concessions, ballpark sanitation, the orchard team store, video production as well for other specialty roles. So again, TinCapsJobs.com as they're looking for their part-time staff for games April through September. And it'll be here before we know it. Yeah. It always sneaks up on you. I know it did for me last year. It does, and we always have um, Mike Nutter on this show, and he's always talking about needing more folks out at uh, Parkview Field. So if you can help out out there, make a little cash, be out there, watch some baseball, by all means, head to tincaps.com. 46862, your text line number. Again, 46862. You can text Corn to that number, be in the running for a four-pack of tickets. See the Comets in the Iowa Heartlanders Tomorrow night, we'll pick a winner this hour and next hour. So just make sure you, you can come into the station and pick them up today before 2 p.m. So uh, just let us know. Uh, make sure, though, you can pick them up today. Uh, otherwise, we'll find a way to try to get them to you. Uh, but again, 46862, corn the keyword this hour on the show. Also, you can stream us 1380thefan.com via the 1380 the fan app. That's free for you to download. If you're on the go or on your smart speaker as well. Now, we won't name smart speakers because apparently we've learned that messes up the playback. So, uh, yes. We'll not go there. Well, we but won't touch that. If you have one, you know how it works. Uh, so, the Colts get a huge break for tomorrow's matchup against the Texans. Defenseman Jonathan Grenard ruled out due to an ankle injury. This is big because he led the Texans with 12 and a half sacks on the season and a lot of key injuries, obviously, for both teams. It's the end of the year. People are banged up. But this is a big loss for the Texans because uh, if there was one area of weakness, it felt like, yes, the Colts' offensive line has been good, but they've also been really banged up the last handful of weeks, and this is a bit of a break. Anytime you lose a a key edge rusher is not ideal. And so when you look at where the Colts are right now in terms of health comparatively to Houston, you have to like where the Colts are at for sure. And and losing a player of that caliber is going to be difficult for Houston, particularly on the road, and particularly how this game went the first time around, and Houston's ability to get to the quarterback and be impactful in that realm. So he's heading into tomorrow night's primetime game, a nationwide audience on ESPN and ABC, uh, advantage Colts in terms of the injury report. Yeah, and it's a long injury report for both teams. Uh, Texans wide receiver Noah Brown also out with a back injury. Uh, questionable among the, the key players, defensive end Will Anderson Jr. Who's what? He's a rookie, right, from Alabama? Yeah, he's a rookie. Um, got Laramie Tunzel that's yep. questionable, the left tackle. Wide receiver Robert Woods as well. So not a lot of depth in the passing game uh, because Tank Dell already out for the year for C.J. Stroud. So keep that in mind. Meanwhile, for the Colts, Zach Moss, Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith, Ryan Kelly, um, Chris Lamons, who's a defensive back, you know, depth guy. He's They're all questionable, um, along I, with Kenny Moore as well. I just think the only one of those that potentially could miss is Lamons, I think. Yeah. Uh, I, I think when you look at Thursday's that key day in terms of if you're 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 competing in the, on the, in the on the practice field and uh Grenard was 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 uh was ruled out after missing yesterday's practice Noah Brown's going to be out as well but uh we look at Kelly and Nelson and Kenny Moore and Zach Moss and Braden Smith all of those 
expected to play more Moss and Braden Smith, full participants in practice yesterday. So the Colts, at least in terms of the injury report, in better shape than the Houston Texans. And we've talked at length earlier this week as far as the Colts' pass rush, that being key. We talked yesterday, Derek Decker filling in for you, about the Colts' running attack being key as Jonathan Taylor's had huge games against the Texans in his career, 5-0 and against the Texans uh, in his career. So something to keep in mind, averaging like 26 carries and nearly 150 yards against Houston. So the Colts are in a good position, and the fact that they're finally playing better football at home, which is something they struggle with at the start of the year, it seems like things are coming together at the right time. No, it absolutely does. And what does this lead? What type, I mean, when you look at it, what type of game do you expect tomorrow night? Is this a first to 30 type game? Is it more low scoring? What do you expect? I, I think first to 30, yes. It may not even be that, you know, high scoring it, right. because the Colts can play ball control. You know, that's the thing that you got to keep in mind. If the Colts can run the ball, they can slow the game down, which is absolutely what they want to do. Yeah, I think you look at what the Texans are going to want to do in probably the same situation in terms of, yeah, they they would like to see C.J. Stroud have a big game, but is the key the running game on on both sides? I mean, you look at Devin Singletary and his ability to run the football and his emergence on the side of, of the Texans, and then conversely with Moss and and Jonathan Taylor, of course, on the other side. I, I don't know if either team wants to be in a situation where they need their quarterbacks to lead drives late to win this one. Not saying they can't do it, but I think they'd much rather not be in that position, obviously. I just don't know what kind of game to expect tomorrow night. I mean, does, does it, neither of these teams, here's the big thing, is neither of these teams expected to be in this situation. Internally, they can say yes, and the, the, but... Nobody thought the Colts and Texans week 18 game was going to be basically win and you're in. Obviously, other things need to happen, but it's going to it's going to come down to that. The winner of tomorrow night's game is likely going to make the playoffs. So how do each of these teams that were not expected to be in this situation handle the moment? And I think that's of of of, of key importance to this. And while the, you mentioned that the Colts playing better at home, it's still a team that's by no means unbeatable at home. And you, you mentioned the, the moment. Neither of these teams have you know, been in this position very recently. Uh, I mean, I get the Colts made it in 2020, but it, this is a very different roster in a lot of places since 2020. No, I, I agree. I see Jay Stroud when you look at him in terms of his splits and home and away. I mean, he's been pretty solid away from home. Um, you look at his ability this year away and has only thrown one interception over the course of the season on the road. Now he's thrown for significantly more in terms of touchdowns away from home, but it's not for a rookie on the road. He's handled himself pretty well, acquitted himself pretty well. So after really a, a, a standout November, he's been pretty solid in December and also on the road. So it's not something where you look at is okay, you can the Colts rattle CJ Stroud away from home? He hasn't really shown a propensity to be susceptible to that, at least up to now. And he'll have a way better offensive line compared to the patchwork one oh, that he had in the first meeting. Bit, week where two. he went what sacked six times? Yeah. He still threw for 385 yards. 
in that game. I just think there's so many different ways that this game can go. I think you you ask Texans fans and oh, this is this is their lines up great. They've had success recent success against the Colts. Um this will complete their improbable regular season. But I think that the very same things you could say for the Colts, completing an improbable regular season after losing Anthony Richardson and only winning a handful of games last year and turning that into a playoff team. Both of these teams have similar MOs in what they're coming off of in recent years and trying to make something happen tomorrow. So I think it's going to be a fascinating game to watch and see how it plays out. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. Coming up on the other side, the NCAA could adopt their NIL trust fund. We'll give you a timeline and latest details next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny talking off air about getting all the Christmas stuff uh, thrown away as far as, you know, wrapping paper and boxes, things like that. Yeah, we you're, can't get you're caught You're trying up. to get caught up. We still have to take down all our decorations. Yeah, I mean, that's something you can do this We'll do weekend. that this weekend. Let's do that. We got everything down uh, earlier or last weekend. But, like, the, I hate the fact that nowadays you everything has to fit in your trash bin. You can't have trash bags or even your own trash cans that get picked up. It's everything has to be in the bin because... You know, they have the automated arm that picks it up. Yeah. God forbid somebody get out of the car or get out of the truck. But so it is delayed a day this week, similar to last week, because of the holiday. I presumed that the recycling would also be delayed today because that's overflowing. Well, of course, I'm home yesterday morning and I hear the recycling truck and I'm like, son of a, so I missed the recycling. So I made sure yesterday after the recycling went by, I was like, well, I'm going to take the trash out now just so. We don't miss it. Well, that didn't come yesterday, so now it needs empty today. But like, we have trash ready to be thrown into the bin. It's going to be overflowing again at this point. So we just can't get caught up. It's uh, it's first world problems. <laughs> Seriously, can't get our trash picked up. Can't get caught up. And you, now can I have you an get overflowing an additional recycling. like bin. Uh, yeah, you could, but it's like you know, fifty weeks out of the year, I don't need the extra yeah. bin. So what we, do I need it for? We had to get an additional recycling bin because we have like a super small one that. Oh yeah, the house. I don't know. So we upgraded to the full size one. I don't know why you get these small. Do they pick up recycling here every week? Or every I think other? it's every other week. Yeah, like we would fill that thing up. Yeah. Pretty so the, the small one is like that's the backup. We use the big one. Yes. And by we, it's really me. I'm taking out the trash <laughs> and recycling. Let's not get ourselves. I am very um, uh, recycling conscious in terms of like I get annoyed if there's a diet coke can in the yep, trash yep. or a water bottle way. in the can. I'm like, what are you doing? But right now, I can't put anything more in the recycling bin, and I forgot to put it out yesterday. I thought it was going to be a day delay. Do you keep like a bag in your kitchen? Like we use like a like a brown bag, like a brown grocery bag. Okay, you know, just kind of fill it up bag, and then throw fill it. it up and then take it out. No, I mean, we just kind of just it's sitting there, and then when you throw the regular trash out, you also open the because like it's on our side door. And we just throw it in there. Oh, okay, but, that's convenient. But but. We, what we do is we have like little plastic bags that we fill up with trash and then tie those and then take them out and put mm-hmm. them in. And then I'm always cleaning out the, the plastic bags with the recycling. So I'm like, this could easily be recycled. So I'm that person <laughs> at home. I am too. And uh, because of it, our recycling is overflowing and I missed the pickup yesterday. It was supposed to be on a delay. I was, I was under the impression it was a delay. You don't have to apologize for trying to do your part. 
Uh, yeah, I know. It's just not that it makes much of a difference. <laughs> yeah, I, seriously, the big scheme of things probably doesn't make, but it, it makes you somewhat feel good, I guess. Yeah. Anymore, Could it's like, out? Eh, am I really? Am I doing a lot? No, but I guess it's the least I could do. And I will like if I have a drink or something at work, I will take it home to recycle. Mm-hmm. Oh, same. And then my wife is like, "What are all these bottles doing in your backpack?" <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I got to put those in recycling. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It. It's a lot of effort to who knows how much uh, impact I'm really making. But yeah, those are the struggles at home right now is getting the crash picked up and getting caught up. 46862 is the text line. Again, 46862. And the keyword this hour to win a four-pack of Comets tickets to tomorrow night's game at the Coliseum is corn because they're playing Iowa Heartlanders. Corn to 46862, and you'll be in the running. We'll pick a winner this hour and next hour. Four-pack for each hour. Make sure you can pick those tickets up today obviously uh here at maples road in the studios and uh we'll pick a winner here in well 25 minutes or so so you yeah. text corn to 46862 so the ncaa uh report came out yesterday and we we had seen this kind of vision laid out a month ago by ncaa president charlie baker uh, but now a, a, a new update on this and the pay for play model could be adopted as soon as August 2025. Now, if you're unfamiliar of what this proposal looked like, uh, this came out December 5th. Baker proposed allowing schools to directly negotiate NIL deals with athletes and establish annual trust funds of $30,000 per athlete. Another factor could be increased scholarships for the schools that participate from 85 to 95 for football, for example, Um, But this would be a major shift in college athletics, essentially creating that super division that we all have figured has been rumored for football the last several years. You know, basically what this looks like is the board of directors, the division one board of directors are going to, uh, they've said that they've quote unquote generally agreed the elements can be discussed and acted on independent of one another. So this wouldn't be a sweeping thing where they just approve all of it it can be they can pick and choose what they want but basically it would allow schools to directly negotiate nil deals with athletes establish trust funds of thirty thousand dollars per athlete etc etc and basically become that pay to play type model in the in uh, at least college football that we've all kind of expected eventually would come now uh, member schools um, of the new subdivision could conceivably raise the football scholarship for limit from 85 to 95. And several administrators have also estimated to be the NIL collective for each school to be north of $6 million needed for the new format, which feels like chump change for the power four leagues. Oh, that's the key thing. The the power four, because obviously the Pac-12 will be no longer in the spring. They can essentially handle this. There are a few athletic departments that do have smaller budgets. Um, s- some that it's unknown because they're private. They don't have to release it. But believe me, they have the money outside of, say, maybe like a Boston College and Wake Forest. Those are yeah. maybe kind of the, the private schools on the fringes that may not have the funding. But beyond that, I think Cincinnati as a one of these smaller budgets for athletic departments. And I want to say there's one other school on that list among the schools already at play for this. So for the most part, they will adapt. They'll be taken care of. And my guess would be 
those schools on the fringes will have to make a tough decision on if they want to advance forward with this because you'll you'll lose all the advantages of it but if you can't afford to pay this clearly it's not going to be worth your time to do so but i think the majority of the schools that we're talking about in terms of of a power subdivision would be the teams in the in the the, the big 4 yeah and then again uh, wake forest like and boston Dame. college and cincinnati are the the outliers here there might be one or two others that have smaller budgets, but those are the schools where this is going to be an actual tough decision for them to make. But I also think that with the ability to openly um, try to raise money, you'd be surprised by what you made. Recently, Indiana, I think it was yesterday, came out and their two official collectives, which is Hoosiers Connect and Hoosiers for Good, over the holiday season, so I think it kicked off like mid-November or something Uh like that, raised $2 million. Now, basically, they raised a million dollars. An anonymous donor pledged a million dollars in matching <coughs> Mark <funds>. Cuban. <coughs> <laughs> but effectively raised $2 million in a month and a half, okay? Including $500,000 from 641 people in less than 48 hours once this thing started. And that's Indiana, okay? And if we think the majority of money comes from at least the football side of things in terms of the donors and everything... And if Indiana can raise that, then I ain't getting to $6 million annually, which is what it sounds like it would cost each individual school to do a lot of this stuff, is it just doesn't sound like a lot. And then you add on top, and here's, here's basically how it comes down to, is if you can rake in $30, $40, 50000000 $60 million a year from your uh, media rights deals with these leagues, you can find $6 million of that to effectively give back to your athletes. Isn't that kind of like the least you can do also, when you're making so much money? Won't this proposal just make NIL Collective stronger? You would think so, because now you don't have to go uh, through all these hoops. Yeah, it's and not a middleman. It's this, direct. It's directly to the school, and I think it's a great point. I think all of a sudden you have more people willing to give money when you know, hey, 100% of this is going to IU basketball or Purdue football or Notre Dame women's basketball or something like that, is you know directly that it's going to them. And I think it, t- yeah, like you mentioned, takes out the middleman. I think more people will be eager to donate. But I just, I don't buy into the schools saying, "Well, we don't really know if we'll have the the money." Like you have money for all of this stuff in general. And I've talked about this before in terms of universities. Like they're just they're swimming in money. We all know it based on your our 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 debt, our college debt, our loan debt. When you go to every university of note and and they're always building more more things and anonymous donors and all this stuff like they have crazy crazy money six million dollars a year is nothing it's just kind of an excuse to like well we haven't had to do this before it's going to be tough for us no it's not going to be tough you have the money to do it and if you don't then you're going to be left behind pretty darn quick and if iu can raise two million dollars and get the buzz they're getting with their new football coach with really uh, nothing to be excited. Y- I mean, yeah, there's excitement around Kurt Signetti. I get it. But in terms of performance on the field and quite frankly, on the basketball court, if IU can can raise $2 million in a month and a half, the majority of programs or majority of, of, of athletic programs in, in the power leagues around the country aren't going to have much problem with this. And we've already seen the mega donors have big impacts at schools over the years. Yeah, they're I already mean, buying out contracts and stuff. Oklahoma State for, for years 
Um, T Boone Pickens. Yeah, T Boone Pickens. His stadium is named after the late T Boone Pickens. Obviously, uh, at like Oregon, Phil Knight. Yeah, Phil Oregon. Knight. Yeah. Um, there are other universities with big power, like Miami has uh, the Ruiz guy who's you know paying for a lot of collective stuff, and then that apparently went away. And there's a separate collective now that's that's paying for a lot of these top recruits for football that are coming in. So. You, this has been happening for years. It's just this is a direct way for fans beyond just the mega donors to make an impact. And and here's the thing. Here's what I find amusing is 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 how you raise this money. Imagine how many people. Let's take Notre Dame for example. Pay the ten fifteen dollars a month for recruiting services to find out who Notre Dame is is recruiting. Now you can take that money or another ten fifteen dollars a month or whatever and pay the school directly. To try to get those players that you're paying to read about, it's uh, it's going to be a wild format when it changes, and it will change. But it's it's not just the wealthy donors. It you'll be able to get on and say, yeah, I'm going to donate twenty dollars a month to help Notre Dame land the next five star player, or IU basketball to land the next five star player that will be the savior for IU basketball, which we know how that goes. But. Uh, <laughs> There's plenty of fanboys out there that are willing to pay that monthly money to be a part of it. And I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon either. No, not it's at all. It's just going to entice more people to be involved. So it is, it's already wild with the portal and in the changes that they've added. But I think they're each time you get to a point where you feel like, Oh, they're at a spot and people can figure this out. Another change is on the horizon. You know, and, and I think when you look at the portal in particular and people will say how much it's, it, some people will say how much it's harmed college football, but you look at the impact that the portal was able to have on Colorado, for example, going from one win to five wins. They're not able to pull that off in the traditional model. Four wins. Four wins. They're not able to pull that off in the traditional model. Same thing with Indiana. And we don't know what the, the Hoosiers will do on the field next year. But their ability to turn over the roster would be impossible in the old model. Same with what Ryan Walters did in last offseason with Purdue. And you can argue whether or not that was uh, that was successful or not. But you're able to see these... Ch- and, and as much as coaches, some coaches like to talk uh, uh, against it and say how bad it is, probably ask Ryan Walters and Kurt Signetti and Deion Sanders how advantageous it was for their programs to be able to go out and really transform a third or a half or in Colorado's instance, two thirds of your roster in one off season. And NAL is going to be a big part of that. And there's always the narrative out there that, Oh, it's just terrible. Like you, you get like two or three weeks off out of the year anymore to be a a college coach. It's like, well, but you're also getting paid exponentially more than coaches got even 10, 15, 20 years ago. And that said, I'm not comparing what we do to coaching a major football program, but you know, we get two weeks paid vacation a year is like traditionally, you know, maybe three weeks, normal people. Yeah. Like we, I mean, we have flexible time off. Yes. Officially like, here. Okay. So. so you have to work all year round in your job. Big deal. We so, do it. Yeah. We're not getting true. paid millions of dollars. Now they have to deal with recruiting probably on vacations and such, but true. that is the nature of the job. I guess that's, you could say, well, that's what you signed up for. And and my thing is too is you know record crowds and record ratings. Uh, I just I scoff at, at at lawmakers or NCAA folks that try to say that this is ruining college sports and whatever college football in, in particular. Never been more popular. Never been 
more popular. I mean, 27 million people watched the first semifinal. I mean, that's uh, that's big time. Highest rated non-NFL sporting event on TV. Going back to another college football playoff game in 2018, which was the Alabama-Georgia championship game. To put it in perspective. So football isn't isn't going anywhere. Even if this goes through, it's still going to be as popular as ever. Coming up on the other side, Giannis Antetokounmpo speaks on the Pacers, always being on his mind. Some very funny audio we'll get to next. Here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final chance this hour to text corn to 46862. Again, corn to 46862. We in the running for a four-pack of tickets. See the comments against the Iowa Heartlanders tomorrow night at the Coliseum. 7.30 puck drop. K's in action on the road tonight against Toledo. We'll talk with Shayna Alberani, the voice of the K's, coming up about 8.35 in hour number two today. But again, final chance to text Corn for that four-pack of K's tickets for tomorrow night. Just make sure you can come in uh, to the station and pick them up uh, before mid-afternoon today, and uh, you'll be able to see the K's tomorrow night. And again, we'll have another four-pack of tickets next hour, so stay tuned for that keyword if you don't win here in hour number one. Big stack of tickets over there. Yeah, we have a lot, of, lot of tickets. So plethora, even. Yes, thank you everyone for uh, putting in your entries. As we have plenty of tickets to give away now, and some other giveaways coming up down the road as well. So Giannis Antetokounmpo, who had a huge performance last night for the Bucks in a thrilling one twenty five one twenty one win over the Spurs, matched up with Victor Wembanyama, and Giannis forty four points, fourteen rebounds, seven assists. Ho hum. Right? Just Giannis being Giannis. But he had some interesting comments yesterday when talking about the Bucks' struggles against the Pacers. The Pacers just beat earlier this week. Pacers wrapped up that season series, winning it 4-1. to one. Who would have guessed that going into the season? But Giannis, here's what he had to say about the Pacers always being on his mind. Are you, you have that, uh, and you think about it. Now when you go back home... And you sleep and you wake up, you think about it. Now when you go back and uh, work out, you think about it. You know, when you're about to get freaky at night, you think about it. <laughs> you know, um, but at the end of the day, it's good because now it gives us time to fix things. <laughs> Always finds a way to just say something funny that you're not expecting at all in the moment. Like, wait, what do he say? But yeah, it's on the mind of uh, Giannis, whatever he's doing, working out. Uh, about to get freaky. He's <laughs> thinking about the Pacers. <laughs> the Pacers are in his head. Who would have guessed that at the start of the season? And if you missed it earlier this hour, again, Tyrese Halliburton, um, leading vote getter among guards in the East. So he has clearly reached superstar status. If if you're leading a fan vote for your position, yes, you're a superstar, which is great to see. But you look at this budding rivalry and it's really as effectively come into its own in the last couple months. I mean, when you look at um, when Giannis dropped 54 in what their, was it their first matchup, second matchup of the season? It was in November, early November. Mm-hmm. And it was a game that uh, the Pacers were up big. Then they fell behind double digits. Then they came back. Uh, Damian Lillard was out of that game, but Giannis scored 54, the Pacers win. And then in December, that was the um, Halliburton really breakout 
Um, Bucks in the uh, in the in season yeah, tournament in the, semi was it the semifinal? It was the semifinal. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was huge. You know, the Bucks kind of had some blowups in the in the locker room after that game, and then of course, um, who could you know, forget Ballgate? The Ballgate uh, where Giannis another huge game, and then uh, tried to get the ball, and he had a ball, but he didn't think it was the game ball. You know all that stuff. But, but it was uh, the game ball. It dropped sixty four. <laughs> But in the end, the Pacers win four of five over Milwaukee. And I can guarantee you next year, next season, this season series won't be wrapped up in January. No. The Pacers will, or the, the NBA will make sure that these two teams play later on in the season. And for Pacers fans, they're hoping that it has big playoff impacts when they're playing late in the season next year. I mean, would you be surprised if it's a Christmas Day game next year? Pacers, Bucks? I mean, I haven't put I any thought into it, but now that you say it, you have Giannis and Halliburton. That should be enough to sell to an audience. Now, and it's not going to be the the marquee game, but it could be. I mean, it I could mean, be the midday game or something yeah. like that. I mean, early, early evening, but um, uh, there's definitely a budding rivalry there, and Giannis backs it up by the fact that uh, the Pacers always on his mind, even when you don't think it, they would be. <laughs> Yeah, you know, bring bring up the Christmas thing. That that is an interesting idea because the Pacers haven't played on Christmas. I think in like twenty years. Like I remember when I was a kid, the first stint for Rick Carlisle, they played the Pistons, and that was like a local broadcast. Like it wasn't like an ABC or NBC or anything like that. But this would have been like two thousand three, two thousand four. The Pacers Pacers played the Pistons on Christmas Day, but that's the last time I can recall them playing on Christmas. So that would be big, and obviously, we know that after the season, no matter what happens down the stretch, the Pacers should have more national TV games than what they got this year. And and granted, they were able to attack on national TV games because of their success in the in-season tournament a month ago. Can the Pacers continue it? I mean, after a good start to the season and then a bit of a swoon after the NBA Cup, now have won five straight games and in fifth right now in the East. Final chance to text Corn to 46862. Again, Corn to 46862. We'll pick a winner of our four pack of Comets tickets as they take on the Iowa Heartlanders tomorrow night, the Coliseum. Pick our winner here coming up. So this is your final shot. We'll pick up uh, another four pack to give away next hour with a different keyword. So again, Corn to 46862 is how you can enter at the moment. Uh, Did you see this real quick? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised this hadn't been done before. Shaq's number 32 yeah. going to be retired by the Orlando Magic. He is the best player in franchise history. I know people want to say Dwight Howard. They'll want no, to say Shaq's. Penny Hardaway. No, it's it's Shaq. When Shaq was coming up right around the time when I was in high school, uh, late middle school, early high school, he was the guy when I was a kid that that captured the imagination of everybody. Yeah, yeah, for, for the so certain amount of people, it was LeBron coming up. For a certain amount of people, it was Michael Jordan. For me... It was Shaquille O'Neal um, being at LSU and then becoming a, a star player in the NBA. I remember reading I, just memories of, of Shaq. Like I remember reading a bio of Shaq. I mean, his first year at Orlando. I remember listening on the radio to LSU games just for Shaq. Wow. Like randomly. Uh, he was the guy in, 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 in the years in which that I really paid attention to the NBA and so for, for this to happen, I think it's pretty cool because I remember back in the early 90s, just the hype around Shaquille O'Neal 
and how big it was for Orlando to get him because Orlando was, was very much an afterthought. That's being kind to Orlando magic franchise in the NBA in the early nineties. And it was huge when Shaq went there and he and Penny Hardaway turned them into kind of the, the hot item. It was like the cool team to follow. It had Shaq and Anthony Hardaway, and it was all of a sudden kids are wearing Orlando Magic starter jackets, and you're like, oh, where the hell did you even buy that? I didn't even know they made Orlando Magic starter jackets. And it was really, for the first time, maybe a rival, at least in in the hallways, to MJ and, and the Bulls. It was all of a sudden you saw Orlando Magic stuff. And they didn't really even, never really beat the Bulls when it mattered, but it was still just a a movement and i remember it and i'm i'm, I'm so surprised that it took even this long to repi- retire Shaq's number in orlando he, he still doesn't have his high school jersey retired really yeah just shocking for? i i don't know yeah bizarre but uh i i've i've loved me some Shaq since the inception and and, and watching him at lsu and just uh I, I just i don't know why i remember that it was just it was uh he was a big deal in the early 90s uh, so Shaq now known for being a, a TV spokesperson. I wonder what the cutoff as far as age of people know him more as a TV spokesperson True. versus an NBA basketball player. Cause for you and I, we know him as a dominant center in the NBA. I mean, I think of him as, as with the Lakers, right? Um, that's my go-to. Well, that was going to be my thing is how many people remember him just as a Los Angeles Laker mm-hmm. and playing with Kobe and winning championships. Like I remember him and Anthony Hardaway in Orlando and truly transforming a franchise that was an afterthought in the NBA to a trendy pick to watch and to wear their apparel and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, everybody thinks I think of the lumbering big Shaquille O'Neal. That was later in his career. But it was later in his career. It's kind of like Babe Ruth. Everybody pictures Babe Ruth of this bigger dude. Like Babe Ruth in his prime was, for that time, a pretty... Highly um, fit specimen of an athlete. Everybody kind of looks at at his later years as as what you think of, and I think that's kind of falls into to Shaq as well. But in his prime, uh, he was as as dominant of a player as I I saw growing up. And and like I mentioned, certain people of certain ages remember Kobe coming up and LeBron coming up and MJ coming up. Uh, for me, it was it was Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, someone texting in at four six eight six two. Where the Pacers play on Christmas uh, is if they play in a big city: New York, Chicago, L.A., Phoenix, Miami, Dallas. I I don't know. I I think Milwaukee with the star power of Giannis is enough. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Milwaukee's a draw on Christmas, and I think that rivalry, that budding rivalry, especially considering they're done for the year, uh, for this season, wouldn't be surprised to see it on Christmas next year. Because I think people are noticing, because that was the concern after the NBA Cup is, is this really the Tyrese Halliburton hype? Is that really uh, going across the NBA, or is it just kind of because we're in the the Pacers' backyard? And then you kind of look at the rivalry between the Bucks. Is it because it's actually becoming a thing, or is it because we're in the Pacers' backyard? Both things are proving to become uh, to come to fruition at this point because you're seeing more and more hype around Bucks Pacers, and then with the All Star voting. You're seeing more and more hype around Tyrese Halliburton. Coming up on the other side, Shane Steichen can cement himself as the NFL coach of the year with a win tomorrow against the Texans. We'll take a look at some key storylines in this matchup 
for Colts Texans. That's next as we kick off hour number two here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning. 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two here on a Friday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, and you with us on the text line at 46862. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your question, comment, rant, whatever you have for us on a Friday. We'll get to it throughout the course of the show this morning. Also, we have another four-pack of tickets for tomorrow night's Comets game. So hour number one, the keyword was corn. So hour number two, what should our keyword be, Justin? It was, can we do Iowa? Yeah, Iowa. Iowa. Let's do Iowa. So Iowa to 46862. Just text the word Iowa to 46862. You'll be in the running for that four pack of Comets tickets. Uh, Just make sure you can pick them up again before two o'clock this afternoon. Uh, at the studios at 2915 Maples Road. So don't enter if you can't pick them up today before two. Yeah. That's kind of important. <laughs> it's crucial to be able to come out here and grab them. But again, because... Iowa to 46862 is how you can enter to win another four pack of K's tickets again tomorrow night at the Coliseum. Comets, Iowa Heartlanders, 730 puck drop in that one. We'll also talk with Shane Alberani, the voice of the K's, coming up 835 this hour. Also this hour, Beginning of the end for Ryan Day in Columbus. We'll get to that uh, in a bit. And a dog had an expensive meal, uh, according to one Pittsburgh couple. Uh, this this story has some details. It's a little gross. <laughs> I'll just say that. All right, looking forward to it. But right now, Colts, Texans coming up tomorrow. Playoff spot on the line. Colts win and they're in. It's pretty simple. Um, the Colts this year have had an outstanding season, and I think you can attribute a lot of that success to Shane Steichen and what he's done as a first-year head coach. I think with a win tomorrow, I think Shane Steichen is very much in or at the top of the conversation as far as being coach of the year, right? I, I mean, I think with what he's done, and I know people want to say Dan Campbell of the Lions, right? That will probably come up. Um well, I mean, D'Amico Ryans. Yeah, D'Amico I mean, Ryans as well. I feel well. like the winner of tomorrow night's game maybe is the favorite for Coach yeah. of the Year. So what Sykin's done, and you look at this team, Colts 6-2 and two in one-score games. Like, you you can't win games in the NFL if you can't win these one-score games. you you got to be on the positive side of that. And the Colts have been exceptionally uh, good in those one-score games. Both teams have, have kind of alternated wins and losses down the stretch, but the good sign here for the Colts is they've won three straight at home at Lucas Oil Stadium after really struggling at home to start the year. And I think this is interesting, Justin. Uh, he can become the fifth straight first year non-interim. <laughs> Got to add that caveat. Non-interim Colts head coach to go to the playoffs. Mm. So you have Tony Dungy, Jim Caldwell, Chuck Pagano, Frank Reich, and then Shane Steichen could become the fifth consecutive. It's just your coach. It's just amazing what um, what that what Steichen has been able to do. I mean, look at it. It hasn't been that a rosy season. You couldn't say everything has gone right for the Colts. I mean, they've had some injuries, not as much as other teams like the Browns that are somehow still a factor in making the playoffs that have made the playoffs. But you look at not having Jonathan Taylor, uh, both for co- contract issues, injuries. You had Braden Smith out for a significant amount of time. You had Ryan Kelly out for with concussions. You had seven different players that have served suspensions this season for the Indianapolis Colts. And that doesn't even get into the quarterback 
play in the quarterback situation with Anthony Richardson and Gardner Minshew. And everything that uh, Shane Steichen has been able to do, despite all that, despite coming off an ugly 4-12-1 season last year, makes it even more impressive with what he's been able to do. And I do think that at some point, we have to, and and I'm not saying just us, because I think we have, but the media, national media, has to give credit to Chris Ballard. We have, look, we're the first to hate on Chris Ballard, but we've also, down the stretch this season, said Chris Ballard also deserves some credit for this because, look, as much as people want to blast him for not meeting draft needs over the last couple of years, I mean, Josh Downs obviously has been a, been a hit, right? Juju Brents, when healthy, has been a hit in the draft. Yes. They've done a good job. Uh, Anthony Richardson, to be determined, but from the limited action we saw, looks like he can be a franchise guy. They got depth in the later rounds, like Blake Freeland, right? Um, he has done a good job. And the Colts signing Gardner Minshew, and, and yes, I know a lot of people want to give credit to Shane Steichen for that signing, but I mean, that's got to check all the boxes with Ballard and with Ursay. It's not like one guy can make that call. And so Ballard has to get a little bit of credit for that as well. You have to be able to build through the draft. You cannot build a team. This isn't the Major League Baseball. You cannot build a team through free agency. You can bring in impact guys. You can get over the hump with free agency, but you cannot build a contender strictly through bringing guys in from the outside and free agency. You have to build through the draft. And when you look at the last you know, couple seasons in the draft, when you look at Alec Pierce, and while maybe he hasn't been what some Colts fans thought he could be, I think he's been a good compliment. Uh, he can be a two, I think, in this league. I think you look at uh, Bernard Ryman as trivial as as he's had sometimes and issues. He's still been pretty solid as a third-round pick. I think Nick Cross, too, third-round pick. And, oh, and then, of course, you mentioned the 2023 picks that you can go and pick multiple guys that have been impact guys. And so it's easy to blame the GM. And, and we were once to say he was basically a mouthpiece for for uh, Jim Ursay and, and and all that, and we stick to that, but at the same time, you have to give him credit when things are going well. So it starts with Shane Steichen. He's He has had the majority of the impact, no doubt, but Chris Ballard also deserves some accolades, and I think maybe some people are, are troubled to give that credit because he's been so vilified in the recent past. And Ballard probably, I mean, he bought himself a future. With this season, he's bought himself at least a next because year. Any, any time you have a current GM and then a new head coach, you just wonder how that relationship's going to work. The Colts tried that, right? With Ballard and Chuck Pagano, and there is that lame duck year with Chuck Pagano. So, on the flip side, and now you have the, the opposite example of long standing GM, new head coach. Coach is obviously not going anywhere, and, no, and Ballard now, based on this season, isn't either. It's just been an exceptional year for a a team that heading into the season was easy to look at worst case scenarios for the Indianapolis Colts. Four, five, six wins. I mean, you had textures into the show saying two, three, four wins. And maybe they are closer to five or six wins if Anthony Richardson plays the entire season. But 
They're nine and seven right now. They win a home game over a divisional opponent tomorrow night. They're in all likelihood in the playoffs. But regardless of what happens tomorrow night, Shane Steichen has cemented himself as one of the top young coaches in the entire league. He did that in Philly as a coordinator, and now he's carried that over now in Indianapolis as a first-year head coach. Another thing to look at as we get back to the matchup itself in this game. So you talked about C.J. Stroud and what he's done on the road this season where he's he's limited mistakes, right? But one thing he hasn't done, he's not making big plays. Uh, just four touchdown passes on the road all season and two rushing touchdowns. So combined just six touchdowns on the road this year. That's, <laughs> I mean, if you're a Colts fan, you take something like that. Yeah. Because that means he's not having the level of success on the road. Now he's not making mistakes like you mentioned in hour number one, but he's not the same explosive player on the road. No, he hasn't been. I mean, he's been a bit of a more safe quarterback on the road, and, and I think maybe that's what's impressed me the most about C.J. Stroud is he's not making the mistakes that you expect a rookie quarterback to make. Regardless of Anthony Richardson's limited play this season, you saw plenty of, of instances in which he made rookie mistakes, whether it was not sliding when he should to should throwing the ball away instead of forcing it, uh, sitting in the pocket too long, sector to sector. Those kind of things we don't see with C.J. Stroud. He plays as if he is a a veteran quarterback in this league, and I think that's what's been more most impressive on the road is him being able to protect the football. And I think that's going to want to be one of the bigger impacts tomorrow night. But when you look at advantages in terms of of the defensive front, you mentioned with the injury issues on the side of Houston and mm-hmm. who they could be missing going into tomorrow night. Jonathan Greenard is not going to play. Will Anderson Jr. is questionable at this point. You look at the interior line with Sheldon Rankins, who has six six sacks this season, and he's been uh, off and on the injury list this this week. Meanwhile, it, it looks like no, uh, the Colts will have a full complement of guys on their front, of course. So when you look at Samson Ebukam and Pay and Dio Adengbo, and of course, DeForest Buckner, I mean, all ready to go. So, and with Laramie Tunzel, questionable with the groin, even if he plays, he's not going to be hundred percent. How can the Colts take advantage for this? So when you look at all the metrics in terms of the defensive fronts, could be advantage to Colts if they can get to CJ Stroud and force him into some of those mistakes that he's been so good at avoiding all season. This could be a Colts win. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. If you have thoughts on Colts, Texans, and this matchup coming up tomorrow night. And again, you can listen to it all right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Pre-game coverage starts at 7.30. Kickoff at 8.15 uh, right here on The Fan. And again, this is this is as big as it gets for the Colts, right? Uh, it's It's hard to believe we're at a point where Oh, yeah, if they lose, like that's the season because it just doesn't feel like that's where we're at right now. No, not at all. And I think when you look at Indianapolis and nobody expected them to be in this situation, we said it. I said it most times. There's no way the Indianapolis Colts are making the playoffs, yet here they are heading into tomorrow night. And uh, even if we come out tomorrow night and look at a 28 to 10 Houston victory, by no means do I think this has been a, a disappointing season. It may feel bad at the end of the season and not making the playoffs, but to be in this position for Indianapolis is a victory in itself. A lot of that credit has to go with Shane Steichen. 
And you can't forget Chris Ballard. I know some people this time last year, everybody wanted to forget Chris Ballard. You can't as much this year because he's given Shane Steichen the tools to build, at least for this year, a playoff caliber team. I think Jonathan Taylor has a big game. I think Michael Pittman Jr. has a big game. I, I think the Colts win this game at home tomorrow night. I would be surprised if they don't, but then in hindsight, if we look at the performances of the Colts at home, it would be not surprising. But I think here would be the biggest indicator, at least now, of a new era in Colts football. Because how many times, most recently against Jacksonville, right, have they been in a position where it's, hey, when you're you're in, or when and you put yourself in prime position to do this, that, the other late in the season, and they don't do it. And I think where I think that has been left in the past as well. I just feel like this team, the Shane Steichen coach team and what they've accomplished this year, Shane Steichen's not going to let this team let this opportunity get away. And I think that's maybe the biggest difference from previous Colts teams of uh, recent memory. Someone texting in something we harped on all offseason at 46862. The Colts need a wide receiver one. All they have are twos and threes. I, like I mean, he's been listening to the show. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Pittman has become a great possession receiver. Now, he is not a deep threat. He's a middle of the field guy. But any receiver that has over 100 catches, 1,100 yards, yes, only four touchdowns. But I think that's more to do with the limitations of the passing game with Gardner Minshew. Um, yeah, he's he's a really good two. I don't think he's a one, but he's a one for the Colts, and I guess that's what they have. Like, Unless they get a a speed guy beyond the slot guy in Josh Downs, who's coming as a rookie, clearly established himself as a number three guy, um, that is still the missing piece for this offense, barring along a, with tight end. Yeah, I mean, barring a trade for a wide receiver, the Colts have two big, big decisions to make. Yeah. And both of them resolve around Michael Pittman Jr. Because... He's going to make money from somewhere. Does the Indianapolis Colts feel that Michael Pittman Jr. is that guy at one, even though we don't think so, and pay him like a one? Or do they pay him more like a two and then go get a one? Or do they let Michael Pittman Jr. walk and bring in, say, a T. Higgins, who will be the most coveted free agent wide receiver out there because the Bengals effectively can't afford him because they've already paid Jamar Chase. So what do the Colts do at wide receiver? Because I think if you bring in T. Higgins, but you lose Michael Pippen, then I still have questions about your number two. Is it Josh Downs? Is it Alec Pierce? In a perfect world, you look at Indianapolis and you say, you bring back Michael Pippen at this, and then you go out and pursue a T. Higgins to be your one. I mean, other guys that could be out there, Mike Evans, I don't know if you look at him. He's only He, He is very similar in the mold of a Michael Pittman Jr., Probably a bit more speed. Yeah, and a little bit older. And and that's that's the concern there, right? He's older. So yes, he's had a, a pretty long career, but he's definitely on the downside. Like he's not on an upswing. Right. Right. I mean, his his best years are behind him. And I think the same thing when you say with Calvin Ridley, who could be available, uh Marquise Brown as well. I just the the coveted one is T. Higgins. And are the Colts, if you're looking at who they could bring in as a major upgrade in the offseason, be wide receiver, I just wonder, would it be at the sake of Michael Pittman Jr.? Do they say, okay, we're going to let Michael Pittman Jr. walk and take that money and, and go after T. Higgins, and you'll need more to get T. Higgins? Or do you bring back Pittman Jr. and make a play at Higgins? That would be the best course of action, in my opinion, if I the Colts. But 
it's not my money. It's easy for me to say. <laughs> That's true. I, I still think the most important offseason move, though, is re-signing Gardner Minshew. Yes. You see how pivotal in the, M- in the NFL that backup quarterbacks are. I mean, look at this season. Look at Cleveland. Not even backup quarterbacks, but third string. I mean, guys that have been <laughs> on the street. Four-string guys, effectively, with Joe Flacco and see what he's done. Look at San Francisco, of course, and what they've done in recent memory and in terms of backup quarterbacks. And, of course, uh, you know Indianapolis this year as well. So Cincinnati this season. Yes. I mean, for a while, uh, Jake Browning was carrying them and still looked like maybe a playoff team. That ended up uh, falling apart, but it's important he to have that backup. at least made them competitive, which he is did. not what you expected going into it. It... it not so long ago, your backup quarterback the, the, for majority of the teams in the league, if not all of them, was if you have to go to your number two, the season's over. That's not the case necessarily anymore for the teams that that plan accordingly, and the Colts were one of those, and it goes a lot to Chris Ballard. Coming up on the other side, beginning of the end for Ryan Day and Columbus. We'll debate it next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. 46862, the text line number again, 46862. <laughs> Several people texted in corn. That was the last hour's keyword. Yeah, it's so Iowa. It's this. Iowa for this hour. If you want to win a four-pack of Comets tickets to see the K's play the Iowa Heartlanders, Coming up tomorrow night at the Coliseum Puck Drop at 7.30. So again, if you texted in corn, that's not your entry. Your entry is Iowa. If you texted in corn last hour and did not win, text Iowa this hour. Yes. So keep that in mind. We have we have one four-pack per hour today. Just make sure you can pick them up uh, at 2915 Maples Road, e- either by 2 p.m. or we can try to make some special arrangements to you if it's you know before 5, 6 o'clock tonight. But again, Iowa to 46862. That is your keyword. We'll also talk with the voice of the case, Shane Alberani, coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Meanwhile, in Columbus, news coming yesterday that they have their transfer portal quarterback after essentially running off Kyle McCord, who wasn't guaranteed a starting job. So he left, transferred to Syracuse. Will Howard coming in, former Kansas State quarterback. This feels like the same guy. Obviously more experienced, as McCord was a, a first-year starter, but Will Howard maybe less accomplished as a passer, more accomplished as a runner. Efficient, similar to McCord, but he just feels like the same guy with just more experience. And for Ryan Day, this is a, a fascinating season ahead because Will Howard was rain off at Kansas State because he wasn't going to start this upcoming season. Avery Johnson going to be the guy, the guy who came in, showed promise, now he will be the guy taking over at Kansas State in 2024. Resume Marvin Harrison Jr. Yes, Ohio State sells elite wide receiver recruits. They need better offensive line play, something they've struggled with for a couple years now. And Ryan Day doesn't have Gene Smith in his corner because he's retiring. A lot of questions. Just feels like a bridge season at a critical time for Ryan Day when the fan base is already ready to punt you because you've lost three straight to Michigan. It does not feel like this is going to end well. It's just mind-boggling to me that a guy that is 56-8 and eight all-time at Ohio State, never lost more than two games in a season, is somehow on the chopping block in Columbus. And I know Ohio State fans, well, you just don't understand the rivalry. I, yeah, partially I don't understand the rivalry, but I also don't understand how you would make a decision on a coach based purely on that rivalry, which is basically what's happening. 
And Michigan didn't do that with Jim Harbaugh, right? They exactly. would have punted him a long time ago. I think the success that Nick Saban has had in a reasonably short amount of time has really changed how people look at performances of the upper echelon programs in college football. That you cannot compare every coach to Nick Saban because Nick Saban is a rarity. But I think, and you see this particularly in the SEC, but now it's grown to places like Ohio State, is if you're not doing what Nick Saban has done, then you're not good enough. As opposed to saying Nick Saban is in his own element of winning seven national championships in his career, including, what, three with Alabama in the past eight years? And getting to the national championship game six times in the last nine years, I think, something like that. Yeah, I mean, what, 2015, 17, and 20, you won national titles right? at Alabama. Obviously, won one at LSU, won in, one in 2009, one in 2012. Um, and I feel like I'm missing one. 11. One. Didn't they win back-to-back 11 uh, and yeah, 12? Yeah, I think so. So, But now everybody compares... At least the 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 elite of the elite in college football say, well, if Alabama can do it, uh, if Auburn was eleven, okay, if Nick Saban can do it, then why can't we do it? Why can't Ryan Day do it? And I think you look at other people, um, other programs that think that way. I think Clemson is falling into that because Dabo yeah, we, had we, themselves at a standard we, that was so high. The fan base was ready to like. Revolt! Remember the, the the fan calling and Dabo mouthing off to him on the coaches show, right. and then he goes out and beats Notre Dame. Then they win the bowl game, and everyone's back on board. It's like, yeah, nine and four is okay. Like, okay, like <laughs> they're going to be down years, and if that's your down year, <laughs> that's that's great. <laughs> but I think everybody is looking at okay, this is what Alabama is doing, and Nick Saban. They've not lost more than two games in a season since 2010. Think about that. 2010, it's been almost 15 years since Alabama lost more than two games in a season. So now everybody wants to hold their program to that standard. At least the upper echelon teams, the Clemsons, the Ohio States. Okay, Now I I can guarantee you that's where uh, Kirby Smart is now at Georgia. The next season that Georgia has with three losses, people are going to wonder what's wrong with Kirby Smart. And he's had one season. Uh, or excuse me, two seasons at Georgia with with three or more losses. But he's had, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six seasons where he's finished in, in the top ten. Six straight, that is. It's just... Um, or excuse me, uh, yeah, seven straight. I think that's just the overriding thing to me is at Ohio State, and make no mistake, you ran off. I mean, you, you can feel what you how you feel about Urban Meyer, but you effectively ran off Urban Meyer. I mean, you could say this, that, or the other about him, but at 83 and nine and still feeling the heat at Ohio State to the point where he felt he couldn't handle it anymore and he left. And now you want to do that to Ryan Day? Like, it's it's insane the expectations that Ohio State has put, the fans have put on their program. And it is because they look at Alabama and say, if Alabama's doing it, if Nick Saban's doing it, then Ohio State should be doing it. And you effectively ran off one elite coach in Urban Meyer. Are you going to do the same thing with Ryan Day? 
And a lot of people, I mean, look, the criticism from Ohio State, man, say, well, I mean, all the talent, he was, he's been on third base since he got there. But he's kept recruiting elite talent. No one can deny that. It's not like recruiting has suddenly fallen off. or signing top five classes year after year with Ryan Day. So, yes, offensive line play is a big question mark suddenly, and that used to be one of their strengths. But beyond that, I mean, you had one down year. And that down year, you lost two games. You went eleven <laughs> and two. Seriously, you've had three Still finishing straight in years the top of 10. eleven and two, and all of a sudden, it's it's oh, Ryan Day better figure it out. I mean, combined, the last two coaches in Columbus are one hundred and thirty nine and seventeen. Now, if he fails to make the college football playoff this next season with the expanded format. Yeah, I guess I could understand a bit of a gripe, but that's still not enough. And I think Ohio State would be doing themselves a disservice to get rid of them on, you know, something as, as small as say say they miss the playoff. It's just uh, it's, like, I don't think that's enough to make a move. It's mind-boggling that this is even a conversation and it's just it's so unrealistic expectations in Columbus and it's because they're so so hyper-focused on Nick Saban and Alabama. Now, and, and it's it, Do you believe the fan base is Yes, we believe the fan base is being unrealist, unrealistic, but do you believe the fan base and the powers that be would make a move if they say they lose to Michigan again and fail to make the college football playoff? Yes. I think they would make a move. I think, and it's insane. It's insane to me. It's it's short-sighted. It's because more, and, and it's all about money, and it's all about expectation. There's so much money in these programs that the expectations are through the roof. It used to be just like Notre Dame had the unrealistic expectations, their fan base. Now, everybody does, at least in the upper echelon teams. Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia. It's If you don't excel to the level that you have at some point and stay that level, I can guarantee you if Alabama next year loses three games, we won't be able to look up during college football season at this TV that we can now all of a sudden change the channel on. And there will be repeated stories about if Nick Saban's lost it. <laughs> oh, I guarantee. I mean, seriously. And there's conversations in, in, in Columbus about if Ryan day is the guy, the guy is 56 and eight. He is 39 and three in the big 10. The only three losses he has in the big 10 are to Michigan. Yes. I know it's Michigan, but still, wow. What, what like, I I I just I don't understand it, and I really think it's that Nick Saban Alabama man t- mentality. I think it's it's similar to Tom Brady and how everybody compares quarterbacks now to Tom Brady. Tom Brady was an anomaly. He was the goat for a reason. It's because he is in his own stratosphere at the position. That's where you put Nick Saban. You cannot compare anybody to Nick Saban and what he did and has done over the course of his career at Alabama. I mean, think about some of the great coaches. Like, he has more than double the national championships that Bobby Bowden had at Florida State. Bobby Bowden was viewed as the, the, the best coach in college football for 15, 20 years. He has double over double the amount of, of Newt Rockney. Okay? And, and yeah, Bobby Bowden has, what, two? Uh, yeah. I mean, so he's Pete got Carroll, triple. Two? Um, I mean... Seriously, Era Parsegian with two, even like Woody Hayes, Bear Bryant. He has more than Woody Hayes and Bear Bryant. Okay. He is at his own level. Quit comparing Ryan Day to Nick. Well, if, if they're doing it in Alabama, we need to be doing it at Ohio State. The fact that Ohio State is doing what it's doing in Columbus, Ohio in 2024 is astounding to me because you could throw out 
weather you could throw out. It's not on a coast. It's not at the beach, whatever, all this stuff. Um, it's, it's not warm. There's a thing. It's like the same thing with Michigan and, and Notre Dame for that matter. It's, uh, it, it, it's amazing what Ohio State has been able to do, yet for some folks, it's not good enough, and it's mind-boggling to me. 46862, your text line number 46862. If you have thoughts on Ryan Day and his future in Columbus, or if you just want to win Comets tickets, you can text Iowa 46862, giving away a four-pack of K's tickets for the Comets and the Iowa Heartlanders tomorrow night at the Coliseum. Coming up next, better late than never, Shane Alberani, voice of the Comets, will join us here on Caleb and Kenny in the Morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the Morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Still have a chance to text Iowa to 46862, be in the running for a four-pack of tickets to the Comets and the Heartlanders tomorrow night at the Coliseum. Again, text Iowa to 46862. Iowa to 46862. That's how you can be entered in uh, calling that game and... Several other games this weekend. Voice of the Comets, Shane Alberani, with us on the guest line. Good morning, Shane. Good morning, guys. Welcome back. Glad to hear your voice is on the mint. Yes, yes. Uh, it's still not 100%, but it's getting there. Now, is it just like a, a virus over the holidays? Like, do you figure <laughs> out what, what, what's going on? Uh, you know what? I, I just uh, started to cough one morning, and it kind of spiraled from there, and I just lost my voice. Uh, from all the coughing, so you know it's not. It wouldn't be the the first disease that can track back to me starting. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're on the mend, and that's that's what matters. <laughs> this weekend, a big weekend for the K's, and it starts off tonight with the Comets against Toledo. Toledo nine zero zero and one streak, so they've been quite hot and and dominating in the division. Comets just one five and one against Toledo on the season. Kays couldn't get it done on New Year's Eve. What could change tonight? <laughs> well, thanks for reminding me of those numbers. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, New Year's Eve, well, that whole last weekend was kind of like the Comets last weekend, lost weekend because we lost everybody. It was like within 48 hours, you had uh, three guys called up, you had some injuries, and you basically had to bring in a third of a new team. So kind of what did you expect was going to happen kind of a weekend uh, so, no, you've got uh, uh, a couple guys back. Matt Wedman was huge getting back. Uh, you got Xavier Bernard back to the blue line. Uh, Sean Sadlowski will be back in there this weekend. Uh, so, yeah, you know, things are, are looking up. Comets also got Ethan DeJong uh, down from Bakersfield. So, suddenly, you now have a crowded forward group. So, it'll be, it'll be a different-looking team there with the Comets uh, played on New Year's Eve. And, uh, you know, they, they wedged a win there. They, they stopped. The three games uh, skid there Wednesday up in Kalamazoo. They were able to eke out a one nothing win. So, uh, yeah, you know, if they can somehow uh, keep this game low scoring tonight, they'll have success up there. We've seen a lot of roster movement, as you mentioned, Shane. We've seen trades. We've seen releases. We've seen call-ups. We've seen send-downs. Is uh, anything in particular the impetus of all this stuff? Is it, is it Bakersfield making moves and, and getting guys healthy or losing? What's... What's kind of uh, everything coming back to you with the K's making a lot of uh, roster changes here? It, it's just that time of year. Uh, you know, you, uh, Bakersfield had a couple defensemen uh, uh, banged up. You know, they still have Connor Corcoran. They have not yet, yet to send him back. Uh, apparently Cleveland uh, needed some help over the weekend, so that's why they took Matt Wedman. So, no, it, it, it was just, it's just hockey. Uh, it's just minor league hockey. It's just uh, uh, that's the way it goes. You'll, you'll have stretches where you have 
uh, no roster moves, and all of a sudden it hits you uh, right away like it did with the Comets. So, uh, no, it, it's just par for the course. Uh, it's something that happens. Uh, the coaches and players all know that, that this stuff can, can change at a moment's notice. So, you know, the, uh, Coach uh, Jesse Callahan did, did his best to plug all the holes, and uh, now you're kind of back to, to where, you, where you were before, before Christmas. So uh, hopefully uh, this is going to be a good turn for the Comets. Shane, how does uh, how does uh, Coach Kalicki really approach and 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 what you've seen in your experience when you when you have guys coming in basically the day of or the day before games? I mean, it's it's so tough to say, okay, this is this is the system. Learn it in ten hours or eight hours or four hours. So, what, what, what's kind of the process of sending these new guys out under the ice? Is it just kind of hey, just go play your game and and stay within the system that you know, or how do you really approach that? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, the coaches will kind of go over everything, uh, you know, what you're doing five-on-five, what you're doing um, power play, penalty kill. And, uh, yeah, you know, because some guys are literally coming in hours before a game. So, no, it's pretty much just kind of keep it simple kind of a thing. And and sometimes you luck out, you you get a guy who's played with another guy uh, on the same line at some other level. So, no, and and that's, you know, that's the the disconnect, uh, you know, that, that you see, like, the comments had a great streak going right right after the break, and then everything fell apart. Well, you had you know four or five new guys in the lineup, and that's going to happen. So uh, it's something you, you can't really play uh, plan on because you don't know when it's going to happen. But uh, no, you, you just kind of get those guys in, you make them comfortable, and you and you hope for the best, man. You, you just cross your fingers. <laughs> Shane Alberani, voice of the K's, with us on the guest line here on Caleb and Kenny. Uh, ECHL All-Stars named uh, several days ago. Jack Dugan named an ECHL All-Star. Were there any snubs you felt like on the roster? You feel like this was a, a fair assessment for the K's this year? No, no, no. no. Jack Dugan, he, he's the guy. He's the team's leading scorer. Um, you know, you very easily could have uh, taken Matt Wedman uh, as well. Or, and even one of the goaltenders. I'll tell you what, Tyler Parks and Brett Brochu have actually played a lot better than what their records indicate. So, uh, no, I think Jack Dugan was, was, the, was the correct choice because he was or he is the team's leading scorer. When you look at Tyler Parks and had the shutout earlier this week, the 1-0 win for the Ks in, in the middle of the week, and uh, how you expect it to shake out this week, and do you fee- see Parks between the pipes again tonight? Will Brochu get the start? What does it look like? Uh, I, would see, I, would, I, would, I would say you would go with Parks tonight because you're going to go with the hot hand and especially – uh, in, a, in a hostile environment up in Toledo. Uh, you want a veteran back there, so uh, I would expect Parks tonight. And then you probably see, you, you know, uh, Jesse's been pretty much rotating the guys, uh, so I would see uh, Parks tonight, Brochu Saturday, and then Parks back on Sunday would be my guess. Shane Alberani joining us, voice of the Comets here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning. And you look at the at the blue line, Shane, and, and just how that has shaken out, and 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 the amount of guys that the Ks are bringing in that were so new. Now you look at the new year and say, how does that stabilize that position? Are are the Ks in a good spot? Do you still see some movement there? Because I think over the course of the season, maybe that has been maybe the most important uh, aspect of improvement from the start of the year. Well, you're you're going to get Connor, Connor Corker back at some point uh, from Bakersfield, and and. He, he, he's a game changer, so you know I think they're pretty solid back uh, on the defensive side of things, you know. And then you get Connor Corcoran back, and it's just uh, uh, going to make it just that much better. So no, I mean I think it's a young defensive core. Obviously, uh, they're learning as they go. You know, I look at a guy like Cam Suprika, who has uh, approved a lot uh, since the start of the season. Jake Johnson is another guy, but he's a guy who uh, 
uh, won a national championship with Quinnipiac last year, came to the team late, and that was actually the team's best defenseman, I thought, in the playoffs. Uh, so, you know, he, he's actually grown a lot. So it's, it's a young core, but it's, it's still kind of experienced. And then you just get a sniper like Connor Corcoran back there. It's going to be solid. And, of course, Xavier Bernard, who leads the team in plus-minus, Another another solid guy back there. So uh, I think going going into the second half, but the defensemen are actually going to be quite uh, quite good. Uh, I'm not really worried about the blue line. Shane, before we let you go, it is MLK uh, weekend, uh, at least for when they're going to wear their MLK jerseys. And uh, tell us more about how that's going to benefit a local charity. Yeah, Sunday uh, the Colonels will be wearing their MLK jerseys. It'll be the third annual MLK game and. And to the best of my knowledge, the Comets are the only hockey team uh, to wear MLK jerseys. Uh, there are a lot of MLK games uh, where the game is played on that Monday, but uh, we're the only team that wears jerseys. So it's kind of a, a very unique uh, thing that the Comets do. Uh, and, uh, of course, it is to honor Dr. Martin Luther King. Of course, uh, Fort Wayne has got uh, the MLK bridge, and that's what's uh, being shown on the jerseys this year. It's uh, brought to you by CareSource. Uh, they're the sponsors of it. And, uh uh, the jerseys will be auctioned off uh, during, the, during the game, and everything is going to go to healthier moms and babies like it has the past three years. Shane Alberani, voice of the comments. Looking forward to the call on our sister station, WOA. As always, appreciate the time, Shane. Thanks a lot, guys. That's Shane Alberani with us. Again, don't forget you can win a four-pack of tickets. See the comments in action tomorrow night when they return to the Coliseum against the Iowa Heartlanders. Just text IOWA to 46862. Again, IOWA. To 46862, you'll be in the running. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show this morning. All right, coming up on the other side as we wrap up the week, a Pittsburgh couple's dog had an expensive dinner. We'll explain next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final time here on a Friday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny, also your final chance to text Iowa to 46862. Again, Iowa to 46862. If you want to win a four-pack of tickets, see the Comets and the Iowa Heartlanders tomorrow night at the Coliseum Puck Drop at 7.30. Just make sure you can pick up those tickets today here at 2915 Maples Road, uh, preferably before 2, but if you need to make some special arrangements, we can we can do so with that. But again, Iowa to 46862 is how you enter. We'll pick a winner right after the show this morning. Final story of the day, final story of the week. A Pittsburgh couple, uh, their dog had an expensive meal. On purpose? Um, well, they ate the money. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the dog ate an envelope filled with envelope or envelope? Which one are you? I say envelope. Envelope? I, I think I say envelope. Oh, fancy. Yeah. Uh, but it was filled with $4,000 in cash. Now, the reason why <laughs> they were having a fence installed at their home and workers request to be paid in cash, which kind of a red flag, right? <laughs> but anyway, so uh, Clayton Law and his wife, Carrie, so they're having a fence installed. He left the, the envelope or envelope filled with the cash and $150 bills on the kitchen counter. So he returned to the kitchen about 30 minutes later to find their dog, Cecil, a seven-year-old golden doodle, making a meal out of the cash. He said he walked back into the room. All the cash was on the ground, standing there. And, of course, he's freaking out. He's like, he ate some of this money. He was in shock. (laughs) He yelled, he ate the money. He ate (laughs) (laughs) $4,000. So 
They set about trying to reassemble the shredded bills. They came up with about $1,500 worth of bills with serial numbers that were intact enough to have them replaced by their bank. A couple more $100 bills were retrieved later when Cecil vomited. And pooped. Yeah. The rest of the money involved a lot of waiting and some dirty work. Um, They sifted through uh, Cecil's waste for the next two days, used a utility sink to wash the shreds of paper so they could be taken back together. All in all, they were able to salvage $3,550. That's not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, They're going to mail the rest of the bill remnants to the U.S. Treasury Department in hopes of recovering more of the money. If not, obviously, they'll have a fun story. Uh, They said the dog is normally well-behaved, never so much stolen food from the counter before. Yeah, the uh, this is uh, the one of the owners said he's very particular. You could leave a steak on the table; he wouldn't touch it because he's not food motivated. But apparently, he is money motivated. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh Cecil, that's a lot of money to uh, search out of uh, poop and vomit. Yeah. Basically, does not sound like fun. No, not at all. But, I don't uh, think I would go to those links. Nope, I don't think so either. But um, uh, Cecil, the money munching dog. <laughs> Not food, but money. Go figure. Yeah, All right. we'll leave that steak alone, but he'll go after the four grand and an envelope on the table. <laughs> that wraps it up for us this week. For Justin Kinney, Shane Albrani joining us. I'm Caleb Hatch, Dan Patrick coming up next. I heard with Colin Cowherd at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. All here today on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Have a great weekend.